Good morning. My name is Roland Martin. I am a drug and alcohol counselor with Empete Luta OTP. We have offices in Martin, Pine Ridge, Kyle, and Wambly. I will provide more information about these offices later in this program. Since I was given the task of doing this radio show for Empete Luta OTP from 10 to 11 on Thursdays, I have primarily been focusing on aspects of healing. I've been taking a real deep look into what I understand about healing based upon things I've learned from many, many different sources and my personal experience with clients. I have always tried to understand what is happening at that moment of healing when that change occurs. I understand it to be a a psychological event, an emotional event, a spiritual event, and an occurrence that happens in the mind within the spiritual realm. In a nutshell, my best explanation of healing has very little, actually nothing to do with the psychological reasoning, thinking mind at all. When we put that part of our mind aside and learn how to be still, the stillness is the stillness of the mind, not thinking, not remembering, not planning, not judging, not finding fault, not examining what could have been done different, all that's aside, and being still with the pain, with the hurt. It is in the stillness of the mind that puts aside that part of our our mind that wants to think, wants to judge, wants to find fault, blame, uh, see ourselves as victim, see ourselves as wounded, see ourselves as without, not enough, abandoned, abused, neglected, etc. This part of the mind is the self, the I, the ego, and it wants to continue to see the hurt, the pain, the abuse, neglect, the guilt, and the shame. The healing I am talking about is dependent upon quieting this part of our mind, because it is in the stillness that we engage with truth, the truth that resides within each one of us. This is the remembrance of wholeness, oneness, And when we bring what is false, the beliefs about ourselves, to the presence of truth, it cannot sustain itself. What is false has no effect on what is true. And we do this in such a way that you are basically watching, you're observing the events or whatever occurred that brought the pain itself. It is not the event that is the causation of the pain, It is the interpretation we give it, the meaning we give it. The meaning we give it, the power we give it, is, for the most part, an unconscious process of our mind. For the most part, individuals within society all have the same conditioning of the mind to where they interpret events in the same way. This creates a consensus reality. In other words, we pretty much all agree what is bad, what is good, what is terrible, what is horrific, what is tragic, what is nice, etc. And then, within all societies, there are those outliers. They see it different. They see above it, around it, through it. So, within the process of healing, again, which is a spiritual event, within the stillness of the mind and in the presence of the higher power, We ask the higher power to help us to see it different. Very important. And in doing so, 
and looking at the the event, just watching it, observing it with no judgment, no thinking, we begin to have a new understanding of it. We see it different. Our perception of it shifts. The mental anguish, the distressful emotional feelings attached to the event itself begin to subside. They begin to relax. And in the stillness, we're able to look at this event with less distress. It becomes a memory of the past and not a present fear. We learn in the stillness of the mind, we are able to sit with that which has been troubling us for most of our lives. And we stay with it, and if we need to, return to it as often as we need for it to shift completely into a memory with no emotional distress attached to it. Within the stillness of the mind, we are able to hear truth. And what we hear is peace. No language, but a felt sense of peace. The truth is within everybody. Because within everybody is the remembrance of wholeness, of oneness. The greatest teacher of all is within inside you. Actually, we're not learning anything. What we're doing is unlearning what is false, what is a misperception of ourselves and reality. We are unlearning because the truth, the wholeness, the oneness is already within us. Unlearning is getting the blocks to the awareness of love's presence out of the way. This is in line with Black Elk when he speaks about people realizing their oneness with the universe. Realizing is becoming aware of what has always been. We cannot separate from our source, just like a thought cannot get up and walk out of my mind. We have never left the mind of Takashla, the heart of Takashla, the Creator. We can never change what the Creator creates, and He creates what could be defined as an extension of Himself, which is love, and love itself goes far beyond what words can define. In healing, we don't seek the love or wisdom. We become aware of the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, the natural state of spirit. And when we become aware of these blocks, we have the courage to enter into that fear, that pain. The fear and pain itself is the avenue into healing, because when we sit with it, we release it, we dissolve it. Because in the presence of truth, what is false cannot sustain itself. It has no effect on reality or our true state of spirit. What I just described here is nothing I made up. This is found throughout history, throughout time, and in different parts of the world. It is reflected within various meditative practices and in therapeutic modalities used today. I have learned our rational thinking mind is our greatest impediment to healing. It is our rational thinking mind, the conditioned state of our mind, that promotes and sustains the pain and hurt, the grief, the agony, emotional distress that we walk with. The reason I look so much at the, uh, the process of healing is because addiction itself, at its roots, is the trauma, the hurt, the pain. Any addictive substance or behaviors is basically an attempt to make things better, to feel different. So, why is there so much addiction to alcohol and drugs? 
within individuals, families, and our communities. Dr. Gabar Mate puts it like this. The question isn't why the addiction, but it's why the hurt, why the pain. For this question, there are various possible answers. And one that is often referred to is historical trauma. Some people will say, historical trauma happened a long time ago and it has nothing to do with us today. Then again, there is plenty of research making the connection from our historical events of the past and present day behaviors, unwanted behaviors, including addiction to alcohol and drugs. Sometimes I think we get way too caught up in defining the problem of addiction, of historical trauma, and everything else. There are many, many research articles on historical trauma and intergenerational trauma. There are many, many angles, approaches, ways to look at historical trauma. It goes on and on. For example, we can consider effects of historical trauma, such as unemployment, substance dependency, dysfunctional parenting, diabetes, depression, genocide, and cultural genocide, oppressive federal and state laws, historical loss symptoms. These are symptoms defined within individuals, families, and society. Psychological, biological effects resulting in unwanted behaviors, loss of norms and behaviors, unaccountability within families and society, specific mass group trauma events, the boarding school experience, and its effects on individuals and families. So things to consider in historical trauma are pretty vast. There's many ways to look at it. It helps to understand who we were, what happened, and how that historical past is affecting us right now today. A basic education in historical trauma helps clients in addiction treatment better understand why things were the way they were in their earlier life. This would be the uh, abandonment, abuse, neglect, rejection, and all the other hurtful things. As Victor Franco, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, puts it, to understand is to forgive. When we understand why things were the way they were, we're in a better place to forgive. Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart was a trailblazer. She developed the historical trauma and historical unresolved grief theory in the 1980s. She writes, Historical trauma is cumulative emotional and psychological wounding over the lifespan and across generations, emanating from mass group trauma. One helpful way to look at this definition is to imagine an elderly lady, a grandma, standing there. Next to her is a middle-aged lady, her daughter, and next to her is um, a younger child, her child. So you got grandma, mother, and daughter all standing next to each other. Now imagine grandma having a backpack on, and in that backpack are many rocks. And each rock will represent pain, a grief, a loss, abuse, neglect, abandonment, rejection, the notion I don't count, the feeling of I am not enough, and other felt sensations such as guilt and shame. So grandma stands there with her backpack of rocks, very heavy, 
Next to her is her daughter, the middle-aged lady. She has a backpack of rocks, too, with the same contents inside. Next to the middle-aged lady <clears throat> is the daughter, the child. She has a backpack on also. She has her rocks in there, too, of the same content. These backpacks have a weight to them. They're heavy to carry around. They take your energy. So what Grandma does, she takes her backpack off. She goes over to the middle-aged lady, her daughter, and pours her rocks into her daughter's backpack. Now, the middle-aged lady is carrying more rocks in her backpack. It's heavier. So what does she do? She turns to her daughter, the youngest one of all, and pours her rocks into the backpack of the young one. The purpose of me giving you this scenario is to understand how historical trauma is a, is a cumulative emotional and psychological wounding over the lifespan and across generations. I have heard historical trauma gets worse, if not intervene. Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart also writes, historical unresolved grief accompanies that trauma. Next, Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart writes about the historical trauma response. She writes, the historical trauma response is a constellation of features in reaction to massive group trauma. This response is observed among Lakota and other native populations, Jewish Holocaust survivors, and descendants Japanese of Japanese-American interim camps, survivors and descendants. So I'm seeing this constellation of features as behaviors observed within people who are suffering from the historical trauma response. Remember, hurt people hurt people. Young children uh, grow up in the environment of adults who are themselves hurting. And Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart provides a list of historical trauma response features. They are survivor's guilt, depression, sometimes PTSD symptoms, psychic numbing, fixation to trauma, somatic, which is physical, symptoms, low self-esteem, victim identity, anger, self-destructive behaviors, including substance abuse, suicide ideation, hypervigilance, intense fear, disassociation, compensatory fantasies, poor effect, which is emotion, tolerance, death identity fantasies of reunification with the deceased cheated death, preoccupation with trauma, with death, dreams of massacres, historical trauma content. And these next three features are emphasized. They are loyalty to ancestral suffering and the deceased, internalization of ancestral suffering, <clears throat> vitality in own life seen as a betrayal to ancestors who suffered so much. Each and every one of these historical trauma response features can be unpacked and opened up, and we could spend at minimum a half hour talking about each and every one of these. Actually, I think that would be a good idea for future broadcast. I can take each and every one of these, open it up, and explore how they are being lived in our lives today. 
part of the healing process is the education. When we understand these behaviors, how they fit into the historical trauma response, it normalizes behaviors. We're not crazy. Or having a reasonable response to a group traumatic event. And this response is unfolding across generations. And the good thing is, this historical trauma response can be stopped within you. Everybody has within them a call for healing. But do we answer it? Do we choose to hear it and to respond to it? Everybody equally has the ability to heal. Each and every one of these historical trauma response features I spoke of here, they are, all of them, they are all happening within us. They are a internal process within our minds and expressed in our bodies and our behaviors. Next, our Lakota values and virtues are also internal. They are within us. I like to take these values and virtues and see how they apply to healing. Each and every one of them have a place in the healing process. In the addiction healing process, like any other way of healing, there has to be a internal drive, a motivation. You have to want to heal. I see healing occurring in two ways. One is on a surface level where we use our thinking mind, our reasoning mind. The education plays a part. It is on the conscious level. We are aware of the processes that's taken place. This form of healing often takes a very, very long time and often with minimal results. Actually, this form of healing is very limited in what it can achieve. Next is the type of healing I was talking about earlier. And in this process of healing, we do our best to turn down the rational thinking mind. Basically, we try to put it aside. It is actually somewhat of a prerequisite for this type of healing to occur. For if the rational thinking mind was still present and in the process, it actually works against what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve. The rational thinking mind likes to blame, judge, find fault in others and in the self. It wants to keep rehashing old events, trying to find if only this, if only that, maybe I should have done this or that. It doesn't want to stop. Well, in this process, how can you possibly have a still mind? How can you be in silence? You can't. It is the silence or after, the stillness, because in that stillness is the voice of the Creator. Not so much a voice. In fact, it's not a voice at all. It is the language of peace, calm, acceptance, love, wholeness, oneness. The stillness I'm talking about exists within the realm of the mind. The mind exists within the realm of spirit. In this realm, we are in the presence of truth. And in this realm, our rational thinking mind can contribute nothing. Because the understanding of wholeness, oneness, goes far beyond what we can rationalize. That's why it's often referred to as the great mystery. The concept of love goes far beyond what words can attempt to explain. To try to use words and the reasoning thinking mind to explain oneness, wholeness, love is impossible because the rational thinking mind that wants to speak is virtually opposed to oneness, to what is true, what is real. Now, 
what I just said here is expressed in Black Elk's words. In his book, Black Elk Speaks, he writes, open quote, As I lay there, thinking of my vision, I could see it all again and feel the meaning with a part of me like a strange glowing in my body. But when the part of me that talks would try to make words for the meaning, it would be like a fog and get away from me. End quote. The thinking, reasoning, rational mind we are conditioned with uses words. And when we attempt to use words, we're engaging with the reasoning, thinking, rational mind. The self, the I, the me. In the oneness of things, there is no place for self, I, or me. To say me, you, us, that is duality, more than one, which counteracts the concept of oneness. So, the self, the I, the me, the ego, will always choose a belief system that counters oneness, oneness that exists in love, acceptance, and a felt sense of peace. So, we can begin to understand why it is so difficult to be in a still place in the mind. That internal dialogue that never wants to shut up, be quiet, is always running. And it will have us believe we are victim, we are abused, neglected, rejected, abandoned, shameful, and guilty. It will have us believe we are bodies, as bodies are abused, neglected, rejected, abandoned, attacked, carry a sense of shame and guilt. It's even encoded within the body's nervous system and diseased, failing organs, when actually we should be aware we are not bodies. Our culture has it we are spirit, having a human experience. We come from spirit, we will return to spirit. We are spirit now. When we start to think in these terms, we are moving our awareness into healing, unlearning the notion that we are bodies that are wounded, attacked, abused, neglected, and everything else. Learning how to be in a still place, a quiet place, learning how to cultivate that in your daily life is moving towards healing. It becomes a way of life. Nature is very good for this. We, In nature, we, we pay attention to the now. Every, every moment is now. We were aware of what's going on with the wind right now, what the, the grass is doing right now, the birds making noise right now, what the sun is, how the sun feels in our body right now. Everything is now. There's no past. We, we don't hold the, uh, the past in our conscious awareness. We're not concerned with the future. We're not socializing, talking about who said what, who did what. No politics. Our minds are not rehashing the painful stuff of the past, trying to find an answer for things that there are no answers for, trying to figure out what we could have done different. All of that is not there because we're busy paying attention to what nature is doing right at that moment. There are meditative practices, um, different types of yoga, different different types of, of healing modalities to bring our mind into a still place. When we do this, we are training our mind, conditioning it to be still. We do what supports the calming of the mind, and then we learn the process of bringing that which is painful, hard, to the stillness. We don't do it alone. We ask 
the Kashla, the higher power, to help us see it different. Because how we see it, how we interpret it, will determine how we feel and how we behave. In that stillness, we are unlearning wounds. We are releasing the wounds. To carry the wounds, remember, wounding seeks wounding. Well, that's it for now. There's always more to talk about. My name is Roland Martin. I work at Empete Lutotipi. I am a drug and alcohol counselor. The services we provide are alcohol and drug assessments, DUI, DWI, education classes, outpatient groups, aftercare recovery support groups, medicine-assisted treatment, and parenting classes. To To find out more about these services, contact an office near you. We have offices in Martin, Pine Ridge, Kyle, Wombly, and Sweat. I work in the Sweat location. It is a residential facility, but we are not open for residential services because we do not have enough staff. This is likely due to its location. So I am currently providing intensive outpatient treatment. It's a more intense level of outpatient. I provide evidence-based treatment modalities at the same time. I draw heavily upon our culture to understand and implement healing practices. Our office phone numbers are Martin is 605-685-6400. Pine Ridge, 605-867-5595. Kyle, 605-455-2331. Wombly, 605-462-6480. And sweat my location, 605-685-1582. If you would like to give a comment on this broadcast, or if you have some ideas for future broadcasts, contact me. Thanks for listening.